welcoming is not enough. Welcoming does not mean affirming. Welcoming means you can come through the door and you can put something in the offering plate, but that does not mean that you can actually be like 100% connected to every facet. Hey everybody, George here. Before we get into Franklin sharing his story in this episode of Off the Cuff, we just wanted to say if you have any questions, uh, please shoot us an email, evangelbros at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at evangelbros, and uh, please stop by wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a rate and review. We love five stars, but we also love it when you're honest. So without further ado, here we go. Hello, and welcome to Evangel Bros, your weekly podcast about discipleship, biblical literacy, historical and cultural context. I'm your co-host, George Benson. I'm your other co-host, Don Sheever. And today we've got a tasty treat for you by the name of Franklin. Hey, Franklin. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Hello. how to respond to George. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> so, Franklin, um, you... Got to know Don after he moved to Blacksburg, Virginia. Yes. And he and, he and his family, yes. Yeah. And uh, you've since then became a disciple of Don's. Mm-hmm. And when we say that, what we mean is not a disciple in the cult of Don, although some people think that, but <laughs> particularly a follower in the way that he reads the text, learns, uh, and lives his faith out, right? Yes. So correct. <laughs> maybe maybe share a couple of your thoughts about that experience. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe just give some background about our relationship and. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, well, I got to know Don and his uh, family like while uh, we were all attending uh, a church in Blacksburg, Virginia, New Life, um, and uh, I would lead worship there occasionally and. Um, I remember specifically uh, there was this time of prayer that was going on during service and I uh, had felt compelled to kind of pray for the church's relationship with the LGBTQ community. Um, and afterwards, Don came up and kind of wanted to connect over that. Um, and so we got together and had a meal um, and a friendship developed from that. And then eventually Don uh, Don and I talked about the fact that he was uh, wanting to start a church here in Blacksburg uh, that was based upon uh, discipleship and biblical literacy, and um, I was I was intrigued by it um, because I'd kind of been personally dealing with feeling kind of a feeling a spiritual plateau kind of in my life with where I was at, and uh, it it just kind of appealed to me with where I was at at the time. And so, um, I kind of agreed to jump on board with that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that was the start of it. And, uh, we became friends and I helped, uh, start dust with Don and all that fun stuff. Great. So, um, what was that like being introduced to, uh, this kind of unique, perspective mm -hmm. yeah it, it was definitely unique um 
<laughs> because uh, you don't really know what you're getting into in a way <laughs> because um, uh, and part of that is because of the framework that I have like with my own journey and within Christianity. Um, I grew up in kind of the charismatic circles of Christianity, um, which, uh, can I ask, uh, what kind of charismatic, like were you snake handlers or? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, it was. And whistles. (laughs) No, I mean, it was definitely like, uh, emphasis on like the gifts of the spirit. I would say there was a strong emphasis on like, uh, words of prophecy and words of knowledge and things like that. And, uh, definitely like the the slain in the spirit kind of uh, Christianity. Um, and, you know, at the time I wasn't prepared for, or at least I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was going to be, at, you know, with the transition from that world into what Don was going to be doing. Yeah. Um, because uh, I don't know if my... Uh, if my friends with it, that are still within that world would agree with this assessment, but I would, I would say that there is, you know, at best unintentional, but at worst a deliberate uh, focus on receiving revelation from someone under the guise of prophecy. And uh, you, you learn how to just kind of receive what people are telling you. Uh, that's, kind of delivered to you in the the phrasing of the prophetic and you just get used to receiving downloads from people. And, and that was kind of what I wanted from Don at first. I just wanted him to tell me what to believe. And that's not what Don does. Don is about giving you tools to study the Bible for you to like do the work yourself and study the text yourself. And I wasn't prepared for that. Like I wanted Don to tell me what to believe. I wanted to, in a way, exploit his intellect and exploit his studies and not really do the work myself because I was used to just receiving, receiving, receiving. So yeah, it was a, it was a new world. <laughs> so Franklin, uh, if, if you don't mind, like us kind of cut into somewhat of the chase here. And, yeah. Um, you know, uh, for our community, our, our folks listening, um, your, your coming up in the church creates some really interesting dynamics for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that had to do with some very personal things for you. And so, um, you know, I'd be, I, I would love if you could share kind of with our listeners, you know, a little bit about your person, um, and so they can yeah. kind of have a sense of, of where our, our conversation is probably going to spend some time today. Um, yeah. yeah. So if you could just give a little bit of your person in, in the space of where, where it created complications, particularly in a more Pentecostal type setting where charismatic <laughs> setting, where oftentimes uh, people, people remain relatively, uh, you know, hold tight to the vest, a very black and white view of Christendom and the people that participated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, very early in my life, um, I became aware of the fact that I was, uh, that I was queer. Um, and I self identify as queer, um, mainly because it encompasses both, uh, my, sexual orientation and gender 
uh, as a genderqueer person and as a gay person, queer is just kind of an umbrella term. Um, and that really kind of became the core f- factor of everything that had to do with my interaction with God and with the church. Um, because, um, gosh, there's so much to unpack here. I'm trying to keep it like focused. Um, <laughs> so share some of your identity and then, you know, we'll, we'll help out a little bit by asking you some questions. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess I've unpacked the I- identity part. Like a- as a queer Christian, there was just a lot of tension in my faith very early on because of what I was, you know, being handed from Christianity, which is that, you know, my sexuality was a symptom of a, a deep brokenness. Mm-hmm. And that became very much the controlling factor. My life became defined by my attempts to pursue straightness and then when that was not successful, um, my sense was that I was a failure and that um, my faith was not as strong enough as it needed to be. My understanding of the text was faulty. Um, my ability to pursue God was ultimately ineffectual because of the fact that I was not um, acquiring straightness, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. so. So was that something that you were suppressing for a while, trying to figure out like how your your sexual identity matched up with this religion that you were handed? Yeah, it, I mean, it was something that I definitely suppressed for a long time um, because kind of going on with this, you know, I was in the public school system and not fitting in there. Um, so I was already encountering a lot of rejection and when I realized that I was feeling these feelings for, for men, you know, I recognized that that was going to be something that the church, um, and as an extension of the church belief, church's beliefs, uh, that God would not approve of. I did everything that I could to suppress it, you know, because why would I want to give people another reason to reject me? You know? (laughs) Wow. Uh, you know, Franklin, um, you know, I know your story and I, I, I know you very well and you are a, a champion of uh, a queer voice uh, in the faith community and amongst people who might uh, condemn or slander others within the queer community. And, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about your, like, what changed, what moved from, what moved you from a space of, of fear, a space of feeling like your faith was not good enough to where you are now. I mean, man, if anyone, uh, if you get a chance, we'll list in the show notes, uh, Franklin's uh, Twitter handle, if he's <laughs> comfortable with that. Yeah. I um, mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and to follow him, Queerly Beloved, right? Is that still your... your yes. Uh, it's um, like Queerly underscore Beloved, but with zero instead of an O. Yeah. So maybe maybe share a little bit about that, about that journey, uh, and then we'll get into a little bit about how, how maybe uh, folks can, you know, you know function well. Uh, both mm-hmm. people that are queer and people that are attempting to be allies. Yeah. Um, 
So how, how did that go? How did you end up from this place of, you know, reparative thinking mm -hmm. to embraced and uh, loved? I think the beginning of it was recognizing that the pattern of living that I was trying to execute at the time was being executed poorly and that it was unsustainable. Um, emotionally speaking, I was heading in a very bad direction because rejection and a sense of abandonment was something that was rooted so deeply within me um, that it, it was just, it was really bad. <laughs> so was like that it, abandonment just internal or was that external abandonment too? It, it, uh, both. <laughs> um, because I would push people away as kind of a self-protective mechanism to avoid more rejection. Of course. Um, so, yeah. Um, but largely, I just recognized that it was unsustainable. I was watching more and more friends. I, I went through several years where there was just wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding. And um, I recognized the fact that that was something that was never going to be mine to, to have. That was never going to be something that I was going to be able to enjoy. Oh. Um, because I wasn't going to marry a woman just for the sake of marrying a woman if I wasn't attracted to her. And then, but at the same time, like to pursue a, a marriage with uh, a, a man was something that was, you know, impossible because of what I believed in. And so it was a, it, it was a place of feeling trapped and it was a place of, uh, loneliness and forced celibacy, which is, you know, what any kind of ex-gay movement is about. Um, and so I just recognized that it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't going, to, it wasn't going to be possible. And I just, I don't know. It was just, uh, there was this, this song called Oceans that's like really popular amongst uh, Christians. It's from, um, a popular Christian church, you know, it, it was this, it was basically a song that was about like, you know, stepping on the waters, kind of the Peter getting out of the boat imagery and kind of meeting God on the waters there. And there was something about that, that connected with like somehow believing that God was going to actually like not be repulsed by my queerness, but like meet me in that place. And that, you know, me journeying into my queerness was this like new frontier. Mm. And, um, yep. was that around the time that you two started the discipleship process? Yeah. That's Don right. was, Don was directly instrumental. Like I, I think, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I actually remember this because you and I used to get into fights all the time on the, uh, uh, old group that you had for disciples. I oh. think we got into one fight. I don't oh, think we got into multiple. Several fights. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, first of all, I want our listeners to know because they're listeners, not viewers. Yeah. I, I, I did a Photoshop of Franklin and George <laughs> next to each other. That is one of my favorite things ever because they are making the exact same expression. And it's when I saw my long beard. It was when you still had your long beard, and uh, they are doppelgangers. I think that'll be the image, the icon image for this specific episode. Okay. All right. 
Anyway, keep talking. Sorry about that. I just I, I lost that my I, train of thought at this point. <laughs> you were talking about the ocean song. Yeah, and, and so it was just making a decision to like, because I mean, by that point, you know, I'd started to hear some of the arguments for, um, you know, for affirming queerness, um, and. You know, I guess it was just a step of, of faith to believe that God was still going to be there and God would meet me there, you know? That's the easiest way to put it. <laughs> so, so Franklin, with that, you know, um, I had the, the honor to, to walk with you a little bit while you were kind of beginning to shed some of the, the weight and shed some of the, you know, if we will, scales that kept you from imagining that uh, you were queerly beloved. Um, and, but it, it was not easy. It wasn't like a light switch no. being flipped. Uh -uh. I mean, it was, it was a grueling process for you. You, you went through great amount of turmoil and angst during that process. And I don't know if you'd be willing to share some of like that process with our listeners, because there might be a listener who they yeah. themselves are maybe at the beginning process of figuring this out. And what would you want them to know? And how would you want them to uh, begin processing? What would you encourage them in? Yeah, coming out isn't a one-time thing. Um, well, that's such a good statement, Franklin. And I, I don't want you to <laughs> flow through it. Because I think that the first time I realized that as a, as a straight white male, that coming out is not a one-time thing, I, like that, that really shook me. Uh, so I, I want you to go on about whatever else you were going to talk about, but I yeah. want you to touch on that, that coming out is not a one-time thing. That is so, so interesting and complicated. Yeah, because it's, it's a decision that you have to, in a way, make daily to like live your most authentic self because they're, you know, for me, like identifying as queer openly and unapologetically represented literally the worst kind of lapse that I could make in my faith walk with God, Ouch. you know? And, and so for me to embrace that was literally me rebelling against like everything that I believed in up until that point. And there's still, even to this day, days where I'm like, did I just like this up? Did I just like, am oh, I wrong? Now we have to put a mature rating on this. Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> all right. I'll fix it with a beep later. Keep talking. Okay. Awesome. Um, but anyways, like I, um, you know, did I just mess this up? Like, did I, am I wrong? Am I screwed up? You know, you know, there's still times that I question that because it's so, you know, internalized queer phobia has become such a deeply rooted, like automatic reflexive response, you know, that it's impossible for it to be completely extracted in like one, I'm here, I'm queer moment, you know? Because you constantly have to revisit it every single time like you open up to somebody new. You have to deal with it being thrown back in your face again like if the person you are coming out to like rejects your coming out and like wants you to go back in the closet basically. You know, it's, right. it's not something that goes away. Those feelings of internalized self-hatred, they don't go away immediately. And it's something that like you, you – you, you have to try <clears throat> to find people 
in your life that you can surround yourself with to like build you up and reaffirm you and recenter you in, in the truth that, that you are loved and that you're cared for and that you're valid and that you're loved by God because there's always going to be the temptation of like, no, God actually kind of hates you jerk. You know, like it's, it's a constant temptation. And so like that, that process, it's, it's a rewiring and a reworking of automatic responses that, that you've had built into you both from your own attempts to pursue straightness to the community that you've been a part of. I was a part of a loving church community that stood alongside me as I pursued queerness and knowingly was complicit in helping me kind of sow this internalized queer phobia within me. You know, they, they wouldn't consider that abuse, can, can, but can you say sorry. a little bit more about that? Because I think that oh. that's something like I've been a part of churches that say all are welcome and are trying yeah. to figure it out at the same time, but really do such detrimental harm and they don't realize that they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. They don't realize the harm that they're doing, although maybe some of them do. I don't know. But like, uh, God, I know, hope yeah, no, I hope not. <laughs> but like, you know, when you, you have people who just want to come alongside you and support you in your pursuit of God and who agree with you that, you know, um, that same-sex attractions are not a part of God's de- design for you. And, you know, you have people who want to see you delivered from that, you know, just as much as they see you wanting to be delivered from it. And so, um so yeah, they, they become a part of that process. They become a part of that cycle. And, and you, you find yourself pursuing their counsel because like you, you want to do everything to somehow try to prove that, that you're eager and have the faith to believe that you can, you know, repent of this, this sin that you have in your life. And they become a part of the cycle of, of sowing that narrative within you, you know? And, and that's why I say, I, you know, you know, when I talk about these things today, you know, I tell Christians who believe that they're being loving, but really are participating in possibly one of the most unloving acts that there can be, which is to sow self-hatred into someone, you know, and that's, that's something that I don't think that non-affirming Christians realize that they're doing. I, I think that they would, I think some of them would really be shocked by that that statement and be hurt by it even, but it's, it's unfortunately the, the truth, you know, as, as I've kind of unpacked this in my own life. Yeah. It kind of reminds, so there was a church I used to work at that used to throw around the phrase people, people born in a hole don't realize they were born in a hole until you give a ladder to them. Mm. Um, and that kind of, that just came to mind when you were talking about your experience, which I'm so sorry that you had to deal with because what you have, it sounds like there are two people like, you know, you've got yourself who, like, you, because, you know, it was charismatic, which means it probably leaned into some Calvinism, so you were totally depraved. You're mm-hmm. depraved in, like, this, because I'm, I was actually born like this, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on, um, and the theology of that church is, like, pounding that in, and it's like a, you know, them seeing themselves helping you out of this hole that you were born into, but really, it's just like, actually, no. You're the assholes that don't realize how in your own... You dug the hole to yeah, begin with. Absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't have fallen in the hole if the church hadn't dug it for us queer people to fall into. And then pushed you. Know? you. Yeah. yeah. 
So go ahead and, and, and tell us a little bit about your journey. What was that? What was that process like? I mean, I think about like, you know, it, we would all love for it to be a butterfly process where it's all this beautiful little cocooning and then you're in the cocoon <laughs> for a while and then you bust out and you're, you're fabulous and beautiful and flutter away. But Although that's how, you know, your social media makes it seem like it happens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But, but having, having journeyed with you, Franklin, um, it wasn't like that. At no. All. And so, uh, you know, and I think that some of us who are attempting to be allies would love to imagine that it's that simple. No, it, it <laughs> sorry, really folks. And, and because it isn't that simple, I think sometimes allies can be really harmful. Um, and so I would love if you would share with our community some of that process that you went through and are still going through, I think. I mean, I think one, you know, one of the things that I talk with you about, uh, you know, in terms of our discipleship, uh, Don, is that there's a part of me that's still afraid of the Bible. Yeah. Um, because there's the way that non-affirming Christians only provide entryways into the Bible through the clopper passages, you know, that makes the Bible scary, you know? And so it, ex you know, accepting queerness is an act of deconstruction. You know, it's deconstructing those gateways that are trying to be built to limit uh, the access that queer people have to the text and to the life that it brings, um, you know, but just as much as like the internalized queer phobia within me spread to other areas of my life, this deconstruction that I've been going through of deconstructing those gatekeeping places that keep me away from the text has been that deconstruction has spread to other areas of my, you know, theological life. You know, so and deconstruction can be scary because it it's a wrecking ball to what is safe and familiar, and and even even uh, bondage can be safe and familiar and comfortable. You know, when you grow used to it, and so. Um, oh, what a what a powerful statement and nice. sad all in the same yeah. sense. So, like, it's it it can be really scary to tear down everything that is familiar. Um, you know, and, uh, but at the same time, like, I feel like through the deconstruction, I've seen the core of what I value, which is the person of Jesus, you know, which has always been my anchor through all of this, you know, which, which is the person of Jesus. And, you know, which it, it's so funny that, you know, there are Christians who believe that because I've embraced my queerness that I've like walked away from my faith, which is the furthest thing from the truth that there could be like my faith has been my anchor in this process, Preach. you know, beca because like grace and God's grace and Jesus's sufficiency is enough for me in this time of like struggle and, and feeling weak and being scared and things like that and being uncertain, you know, the solid ground of Jesus is always and will ever for will always ever be enough, you know? And so I think, staying centered in that place of like everything in me is changing, but like I'm discovering who Jesus has always been, you know, and discovering through Jesus who God has always been. And I, th I think that is, you know, 
that's the place that I found surety and safety through so many other things in my life changing. Um, has that always, has that kept it easy? No. Like there's been a lot of emotional turmoil still because again, like there's, there's the process of, you know, finding wounds and actually healing them and actually going through the process of, uh, uh, yeah, just a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I imagine, like, not just, I imagine reconciliation is a really hard thing. Like, not just because you're reconciling, you know, who your true self mm-hmm. that has been rejected by the very people that were supposed to love you within the church, but also deciding whether or not reconciliation is a possible thing with those same people. Yeah, I mean, because I've never shied away from being completely honest about how I feel. And <laughs> I, I got to say, that is something I admire in you to a fault, um, mm-hmm. because you are nothing but open and honest about who you are and what you are definitely feeling. <laughs> I was telling a friend of mine that everything I feel, I feel cranked to 12, you know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that shines through. <laughs> Um, so like, yeah, it's, I I would imagine that it has been difficult for people who were a part of my life during that period because they've, they've watched me go through this process and they've watched me find my voice with standing up for the queer community. Um, and, you know, demanding that the church be affirming, you know, that for those of us in our community who do want to pursue spiritual things. Uh, you know, that the church is wrong to not allow a place for us or to allow limited access, you know. Um, and on the other hand, my caution is also to churches that are allied to the queer community to not assume that just because you're allies, that that doesn't mean that you're automatically a safe place. There are many queer people who are far too traumatized because of what they've been through to like, see any benefit in terms of being a part of the church. And so they're not going to want to be a part of it. And so, um, you know, I'm just very, I'm very much about, you know, kind of guarding the queer community, you know, um, and making a place for those who want to have one and uh, making sure that those who, who don't want that in their life are, are protected. So. So Franklin, a lot of churches in, the part of the country that I'm at in, in the Midwest, Mm -hmm. they use language such as welcoming. (sighs) Whoa. (laughs) Well, well, you're, you, you kind of tipped your hat a little bit there. Sorry. No, 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 it's okay. Um, it's a nice hat that you usually wear. We're fine. Because I, I think it's important because I think a lot of people, do a little bit of uh, spiritual masturbatory uh, moments with that, that their church is welcoming. So what I want, maybe, maybe take a moment and, you know, obviously you don't speak for the queer community. At least I don't think you do. Maybe you do. I don't know. (laughs) Well, the queer community is not a monolith. So while I do try to speak for what I see as, uh, I guess, a concern among many, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't consider what I say to be comprehensive. Okay, um, <laughs> fine. Well, here I thought we had the... the <laughs> I am the appointed representative, didn't you know? But no. We got to find a new, a new guest next time. <laughs> but, 
but here's what I want to know, Franklin, mm -hmm. for you personally, when you hear a church that says they're welcoming, but they don't have any statement whatsoever in there, or, or maybe they even have a statement that says one man, one woman, or something like that, but they say that they're a welcoming church. What, because I, I've talked to so many of my colleagues and peers in the pastorate about this, and there seems to be something completely lost on them. And me speaking as a straight white male uh, doesn't seem to penetrate whatever, uh, you know, shields they have up. Yeah. And so I'm just curious what you feel as a, as a queer <clears throat> person, um, what that means when you encounter something that says they're welcoming, uh, but they're not inclusive. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, being inclusive is an action. And mm. if, if you are not actively pursuing the liberation of the queer community from all forms of queer phobia, then your, your sense of welcome, your invitation is two-dimensional. Um, now, I know of uh, people within the queer community who go to churches that are not affirming or they go to churches that have this like welcoming, but only kind of sorta perspective. Um, and, and that's up to them. You know, they, you know, some, some of us really want that spiritual connection. And so, you know, we're willing, some of us are willing to like, you know, kind of go through those hoops in order to be a part of it. But you know, what I know, like for me and, and myself, like I need to be a part of a community that celebrates every facet of me. And um, for me, like welcoming is, is not enough. Welcoming does not mean affirming. Well, welcoming means you can come through the door and you can put something in the offering plate, but that does not mean that you can actually be like 100% connected to every facet. Like there's- Ouch! Yeah. Oh, and like <laughs> you, just, you just drove a spike through the vampire heart of evangelicalism. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I can, the, the core of the matter is, is that, you know, are you welcoming, but will you, will you officiate my wedding one day when I find Mr. Right? You know, if, you know, if a queer couple decides to get mar married and then adopt kids like are you going to welcome their kids like their welcoming is only an access point um to the substance that's within what's the substance of your behavior towards the queer community and if it's if it's nothing more than well we don't want to be westboro then that that's not enough you know in, in some ways i and this might be a controversial statement. I actually respect Westboro more because Westboro, Westboro knows who they are and they know what they are about. There is no second guessing about their motivations. When they hold up signs saying God hates fags, like you know what they are about. And yeah. something that annoys me is when these churches are like, yes, we're welcoming and you can certainly come to our services. But at the end of the day, like it's a bait and switch. It's sexuality roulette. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a bait and switch because at the end of the day, at some point, there is going to be a wall that a queer person will reach within your congregation to where there cannot be any further access simply because of their sexuality. Um, and 
and that is not welcoming. So it sounds good in a soundbite and it looks good on a website, but like I, as for me, like it smells, you know, uh, and like I said, like uh, some some queer people can can deal with that. They can live with that. They can exist in that um, because the desire for spiritual community is is strong. And uh, you know, I respect that decision. That's not what will work for me. You know. <laughs> yeah. So Franklin, we're getting uh, short on time here, and so uh-huh. I guess like the one thing that I God, there's so many questions I have right now. We're definitely going to have you back on. Um, and and talk some more about this mm-hmm. but like we'll call if, it franklin queries oh. uh, <laughs> no, no you're not <laughs> no, no. Yeah. nope okay fine <laughs> so no like one of the questions i have is um you know what would what would you say to an ally who what would you say to somebody who is whose theology is changing and they are becoming an ally. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's, there's often a wall that people reach when they're trying to figure out what they believe, where they don't yeah. know what to do next. Usually they know what to do, <clears throat> but they're a little too afraid of what it's going to cost them. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to somebody like that? And also, you know, what words of encouragement um, do, you, do you have about, if, if there are any, about you know the the queer community in the church and like you know like your transition and what you found healthy mm-hmm. and helpful does that does that make any sense? Okay, th- there's a lot of questions that are packed into what you just said. Yeah, so- no, I know. So if you can try yeah. and figure that out, <laughs> in five minutes, yeah. go. Well, what I would say, you know, t- let me address first people who are kind of stepping towards allyship, and um, I'm just going to be brutally honest and say that like believing that queer people are not perverted or intrinsically disordered or an abomination or whatever you want to call it. That is literally the bare minimum. Like that is the bare minimum of human decency. I mean, that's like me saying to a black person, you know what? I should be celebrated because I, you know, believe that you're, I don't believe that you deserve to be discriminated against. Like, why is that praiseworthy? You know, that's literally the bare minimum. You know, allyship is listening and learning and learning how to, you know, behave in a manner that liberates a community that has endured marginalization. That is what allyship is. And in some ways, I wish we would discard the word ally and actually seek to be accomplices. Um, I I read that somewhere on Twitter. I did that is not an original idea. Uh that is not a creation of my intellect and so I don't want people to think that it is being coined right here right now in this podcast. Um I can't remember where I read it from unfortunately. If I remember I'll share it somewhere on the internet, but you know, accomplice being an accomplice, you know, it requires active complicity and what we really need is people who are actively deconstructing structures that oppress people. You know, that's, that is what I am seeking. You know, I am, I am a white person, even though I have been marginalized as a queer person, I have been a beneficiary of white privilege and all the ways that whiteness is celebrated in America. Um, And so I have to be intentional about pursuing a kind of allyship that isn't just lip service to people of color, 
but is actually confronting the white privilege that I have enjoyed and deconstructing it. And, and that is the only way that I can behave in a way that's, that's beneficial to, uh, to black people and to immigrants and refugees and to people of color who endure marginalization all over. That's the only way that I'm actually doing them any good. And in some ways that, you know, that connects to what those of us in the queer community need. We need people who are deconstructing heteronormative culture, you know, and that takes intentional action, you know, and, and so just, just believing that I'm not going to hell because I like guys, like that's, that's literally just, that's bare minimum. And so um, what I would say to people who are pursuing allyship is just don't, don't settle for any level. You know, don't consider, yeah, just continue to listen and learn and pursue ways that you can be better and do better and listen more and relinquish more space so that those who have not had space can actually exist freely. <laughs> if you could have two minutes with a pastor mm -hmm. um, or a faith leader who is on the fence about uh, queerness and faithfulness, what would you want to say to them? Um, what would you want to point out to them or express to them about who you are and your faithfulness? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I'd just be curious as to, like uh, one to say. Yeah, and what? I will time you on this. So think about <laughs> for a second. Got 120 seconds. Yeah. We're we're gonna because that's all the time that us heteronormative pastors have. <laughs> I mean, that's actually in the rule book. Oh. So okay. Anyway. <laughs> so two minutes starting now. Um, why are you on the fence? That would be the first thing that I say, you know. Um I, I don't understand like why it always takes these momentous shifts of mm. theology to err on the side of mercy when God errs on the side of mercy. Boom. You know, if the, the God that I see in the Bible is a God who is constantly finding excuses to bring and draw more in and to constantly be generous and to constantly expand uh, the borders and the tent pegs and to, to bring more people in, like, how can you not see that? And why would you want to be an agent of limitation? You know, when there are so many queer people that are hungry for access to God, why would you, why would you lift the drawbridge? Why would you want to have to stand before God and explain that one day? You know, and that's what I would say. It's hard for me to be generous sometimes with people who are on the fence because it's like, why are you waiting? Because they like the feel of the picket. This is his two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why are you waiting? Why is it so hard to be merciful? Why is it so hard to be generous? You know, the fact that there is a high suicide rate in the queer community is common knowledge. The fact that there are queer teenagers still being booted out of their homes is common knowledge. So this time that people who are, who are non-affirming are wanting to have to get their theological shit together 
is not free um, because suicide is still happening. Teens are still being kicked out of their homes. That's still happening, you know? So yeah, it's just why, why wait? Why wait? Be a part of this now. (laughs) Yeah. And that's two minutes. I got to say, if I were a young pastor and you came up and said that to me, I would probably shit myself because there's no good response to that. Like there's the patented, you know, hey, this is what a shitty reading of the Bible says when you go to, when you go to school for it. Love the but, sinner, hate the sin. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's all I'm trying to do, bro. That's it. That's all I'm trying to do. Bruh. <laughs> you know, I think I don't think that there's any way that we could probably top that for this installment of <laughs> hanging out with Franklin. I agree. So I think that this is a a good place to wrap up. Um, Franklin, it has been an honor and a privilege to sit at your feet and listen to what you have to say. I'm sorry for the smell. You know, it comes with the the territory. It's fine. Yeah. Um, But we'll we'll put in the show notes on where to find you. Is there anything else you want to say before we close out? Uh... No. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on. And I've been your co-host, George. I've been your co-host, Don. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.